Good morning. Welcome to Boiling Springs Baptist Church. We are glad that you are here with us today on this cold January morning. We wish everyone a happy new year, and we pray that our hearts would be prepared to worship our Lord today. Our hymn of praise this morning is number 406, The Solid Rock, number 406. If you would, please stand and join me in singing if you're able to stand. children to come forward. I want to read to you the scripture this morning, and it's from Matthew, the same scripture that Pastor Keith's going to use, but I'm going to use a different verse. Hey, Ella, how are you? And I'm going to read Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times should I figure my brother and my sister who sins against you? How many times should I forgive them? Seven? Seventeen? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but seventy-seven times. That's a lot of times, isn't it? Hey, Emily. So I brought something today for you to look at. Pencils. They're all kind of shapes and sizes, aren't they? Just like the people in the church. 
just like all of us that God loves. We're all different. But then there's something different about them when you turn them over. What are they missing? Erasers. What do you do with erasers? You do what, Briley? You erase things. And what are those things that you erase? Sentences. Are they good sentences or bad sentences? Mistakes or, huh? Good. Good. Well, sometimes I use eraser to erase things that I don't do right. Sometimes I write the wrong word. Sometimes things just don't come out right on the paper. Well, you see, I made lots of mistakes, didn't I? But you know what? When I make mistakes, I can erase them. When we all make mistakes, God forgives us. Remember what the Bible says, not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus died for us. Jesus died to forgive our sins. So it doesn't matter how many times I use my eraser, it doesn't count with God. God always erases our sins and forgives us and makes it better. Can you remember that now? When you turn that eraser over tomorrow when you go to school, remember, God's always erasing things that you don't always do right to. Let's pray. Lord, today on this beautiful but crisp day, we thank you for these children. We thank you for these families and for this church. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus came and died for us to forgive our sins and that it doesn't matter what we lift up to you, you forgive. What we forget to do, you forgive. <clears throat> as many times as it takes, Lord, we know you're in our heart. And we love you for that. Take care of us. Bring us back again Sunday safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning once again. Thank you, Ellen, for that word this morning. I want you to do something this morning. I want you to turn, most of you have someone near you, turn to someone near you and say congratulations. Now you can add that you have perfect church attendance for 2018. So congratulations on that. Well, I'm sure that will continue throughout the year. I uh, wanted to make you aware of something. Last Sunday, I shared with you a verse from John 15, 4 and 5 that talks about us remaining or abiding in Christ. And the results of that will be that you and I are bearing fruit for a branch that is severed from the vine cannot bear fruit. And so I promised you that I would have some little scripture memory cards and I have those here. They're in a basket down front and they're also in a basket as you leave on the welcome center table there in the back and the right as you go out. And so I pick one of these up and I would encourage you and challenge you to place it either somewhere in your car or bathroom or place at work somewhere where you can reflect on this verse and let it challenge you as we move throughout 2018. I know I want to bear more fruit in my own personal life and I think that would be your desire as well. And I think that would be your desire as well to bear more fruit uh, for our church, to bear more fruit for the kingdom in 2018. So pick one of those up. Tonight we begin the Growing Young Emphasis at 5 o'clock. I encourage you to come out. We're going to look at a question or, uh, well, is it a question? Um, ten, it's a statement. Ten things that are not essential for Boiling Springs Baptist Church to grow young. 
and would encourage you to come out. There is a football game this afternoon, but nothing much will happen in the first half anyway, and you'll be home for the second half. And so come out and, and enjoy that time at five o'clock today. A parenting class began this last Wednesday. We had nine parents there, and uh, several I know had wanted, were asking questions, wanted to come, but it will begin at 545 this week, not 530. That will allow, again, these parents to be able to get from work and to get there on time. And so uh, come and join us if you can. We'll certainly look forward to that time. There is a misprint in the bulletin I need to make you aware of, the Guatemala mission trip. If you are interested in learning more about that, that informative meeting for that trip will not happen on the 28th, but will happen on the 21st. And so just be mindful of that. It's Sunday afternoon, the 21st at four o'clock, and we'll meet most likely in the Lighthouse Room for that. Today, the church family would like to extend sympathy to the family of Gail Hamrick in the passing of her mom, Ann Fisher, this last week. And we continue to extend sympathy to the family of Don Green, Irene, and Jerry Green in the passing of, of Don. Uh, the word from Jane Stroud this week is very encouraging. We are excited um, and just praise the Lord for the progress that she has made and will most likely be listed this week. She has great lab results and the doctors are very pleased with what they are seeing. And so that should happen this week. We also want to remember um, Ted Dave's brother-in-law recovering in Charlotte from open heart surgery, uh, Rick. And so let's be mindful of him. One of the keys or the core commitments of the Christian faith is that of forgiveness. You've heard it spoken this morning with Ellen and the children and it's something that you and I stand in need of every day. And certainly it's um, an important part of our services and worship as well to come and to confess and to allow Christ and his love and his grace to forgive us of our sins. And during the prayer this morning, I'm gonna have a pause. You'll know when that, it'll be obvious when that pause is. And I want us this morning to take a moment and to reflect. As we start a new year, in a sense, we have a clean slate. We're looking at the year ahead and we have many goals or resolutions uh, for the coming year. And what better way to start the year than with a clean slate and to start fresh and to start new. And so we're gonna um, allow for a few moments of confession this morning in the prayer, and then um, we will, I will close out the prayer. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for a new year full of hope and opportunity. As we begin a new year, we pray that you would stir our hearts in new and fresh ways. Teach us, Lord, how to abide in you so that we can personally see greater fruit and that we may see this in the life of your church. This morning, as we remind ourselves of the lavish forgiveness that you offer, help us to extend this same forgiveness to others. Forgive us, Lord, for the sins we know in our hearts and save us, Lord, from the sins that we hide. Help us to be honest with you so at this time we ask for your forgiveness. We thank you that you are full of compassion and mercy slow to anger, and that you have not dealt with us according to our sins. It is because of Jesus Christ that our sins are forgiven. This gift of forgiveness makes us able with the power of the Holy Spirit to choose to forgive others and to live again in right relationship with one another and with you, God. Our hearts are heavy towards those who are struggling here among us this morning. We ask that you continue to strengthen Jane Stroud, we ask for comfort for the family of Ann Fisher and Don Green. Bless our church, Lord, and all of its ministries. Bless our community. Bless our missionaries here in Shelby and around the world. 
And we pray this prayer in the name of the one who died so that we may be forgiven, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Our hymn is Grace Alone. You can find the words in your order of service and also on the screens. And I'll just bring to your attention that this is one of the hymns in Celebrating Grace. So we'll be singing that from a hymnal before too long. If you would, please stand and join me in singing. forgive our sins. I pray for all those who have lost loved ones. I pray you would give them comfort and peace. Thank you for life and all the many blessings you have given me in this church body. I pray that we would give back a portion of our time, talents, and money to further your kingdom's work. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, choir. It sounded good two weeks ago with First Baptist Shell, but it sounded really good today by yourselves. Um, but uh, that was nice. Thank you, choir and candy. I've shared a few weeks ago, or maybe several months ago now, that uh, every family has a good storyteller. I think you all would agree with that. Some of you may fit that description in your family. And I shared, and I'm not going to mention names today. I almost got in trouble last time I did that. But we have a few in the church, amen? A few good storytellers. And um, as we move into a new sermon series, we are going to hear from the master storyteller. Of course, that being Jesus. And over the next couple months, we'll be looking at several of the parables, several of these Jesus stories and what we can learn and how we can apply those to our lives. Jesus captivated his followers then and still today, 2,000 years later, with these miraculous stories, with these miraculous lessons wrapped up in something uh, very common, taking something unknown and illustrating it through something that is known or something that is tangible, something that we can hold with our hands or possibly see with our eyes. And in honor of reading uh, the first parable for the year that we'll be looking at several in the coming weeks, but in honor of reading Jesus' story this morning, I want to invite you to stand with me as we read Matthew 18, 23 through 35. This will be on the screen, uh, but you can find it there in your pew Bible or on your device, uh, however you may choose to read your scripture this morning. But I'll be reading this parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, 23 through 35. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife, children, and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. And then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Father, I ask for your blessings this morning on the reading and the preaching of your word. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. At the beginning of every year, there are certain subjects that uh, I'm sure I'm not alone in this that pastors would like to address. Uh, one of those that we'll be addressing soon is the topic or this, the, we'll be looking at a parable very next week on discipleship and spiritual formation and uh, what is God doing in my life and in yours and what is he asking us to do that we may be continually transformed into his image and into his likeness. And so we'll be there next week. Following week, we'll have Men's Sunday, but in a few weeks, and three weeks, one of the sermons that I know a lot of pastors like to preach this time of the year is, has something to do with money, has something to do with tithing and stewardship. 
And don't worry, I know you're all anticipating that sermon, but it will come. Uh, but uh, in two or three weeks, we, we, we will be there. But this morning, again, like I said earlier before my prayer, one of the things that I think would help us greatly as we start a new year is to focus on the key uh, message. I got something going on here. The key message or the core message of the Christian faith. I asked my dad that yesterday as I saw him in Hendersonville. I said, I'm preaching on the core commitment of the Christian faith. What do you think that is? And he said, well, he said the cross. And I said, well, that's right. And I said, forgiveness. That's what makes you and I who we are. That's what makes us followers of Christ is the forgiveness that he has offered us. And we certainly have been challenged now that you and I have been offered this forgiveness as well. A good way to get into the meaning of a parable is to do two things. I don't do this every time I read a parable, but it's good to do it, and I felt like it needed to be done today as we look at what the parable obviously says, but then we think about what we would like the parable to say. I know I did that with this one because to be honest, and you're gonna see as we walk through this parable in a moment, there's part of this parable that makes me mad. I don't say that too often from the pulpit about scripture making me mad, but this story, and I hope it does that in you as well, but as we read it, there's something incredibly unfair that is happening in this parable, and it just makes me angry. The first servant was forgiven an enormous debt and uh, a debt that could never ever be repaid in a lifetime. Uh, Commentators say this must have been uh, millions if not even billions of dollars and how could one even accumulated this much debt? We don't know but what we know is what we have and so the first servant was forgiven an incredible amount of debt as he begged before the king for this debt to be forgiven. He quickly went away and went to one of his lesser servants and said, um, and the lesser servant was asking the same thing, forgive me of my debt. So the one who has been forgiven graciously says to the one who is also on his knees asking for this debt to be forgiven, no. And not only is he saying no, but he's holding him by the neck and he's choking him and he's saying, you need to pay me everything you owe. And what this servant owes is only a few denarii. It would be a few weeks or months worth of wages. It could be paid back. But yet the gracious servant who was, the servant who was shown mercy is showing none to the second servant. And not only that, he's, he's, he's throwing him in jail. And so this is what we have with the story. But what do we wish the outcome of the story would be? We see the one who's forgiven lavishly. He goes uh, to, the, to the second servant here. And uh, what would be nice is, is that second servant, as he is down asking um, this other servant to forgive him. Uh, for him, and in the background, you know, we have like some major key music kind of going on that's, you know, just nice, makes you feel good. And, and we see this servant who was shown great grace extending his hand and helping the lesser servant up and saying, I forgive you of your debt. I have been forgiven a great debt. And so I am returning the favor to you and I am forgiving you of the debt that you owe to me. And then he stands, they hug, they embrace. And uh, the king hears about it. He rewards the first servant who was forgiven for what he has done now to his servant. He's promoted maybe in the kingdom and they throw a big party, but that's not what we have here. Maybe in Luke, we have more like that. But in Matthew, typically somebody's got to pay at the end of Matthew's parables. Not all of them, but many of them, somebody has to pay. That's what we're left here. That's the story, the way the story plays out. So with this parable that ends the way it does, what lessons can we learn from something that leaves us a little bit uncomfortable with what unfolded 
Well, the first lesson deals with the king's lavish grace in the forgiving of the debts. Verse 23 through 27, again, summarize the core of the Christian faith, and that is forgiveness. And we see that here with the one who owed an enormous amount of debt. This first servant owed what, again, what I said today would be the equivalent of millions, and some commentators even say even billions or more uh, uh, dollars. There is no way that this debt could ever be worked off in a lifetime. The king could have sent this man to execution for complete failure to pay. And the idea of earning money or paying it back in prison was really just, it's a part of the story, but you really didn't earn that much money in a prison, in a Roman prison. But what the king does stands out in an incredible way. Clearly his behavior depicts God's grace and forgiveness of sins and the forgiveness of our sins. Our sins could be comparable to this unpayable debt. It would not matter what you and I could do or the goodness that we could obtain, the stature that we could obtain in society or the righteous acts that we could do. There is no debt that could pay for the sin that you and I have except that found in the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. If our sins are to be forgiven, it has to be through God's magnificent and lavish grace. The second lesson, which is jarringly juxtaposed with the first, deals with the absurdity of spurning or rejecting such grace. The treatment of the second servant forms a major turning point in the story. As unimaginable as the king's gracious response to the first servant is the first servant's cruel response to the lesser servant that owes him money. You see in verse 26 and 29 that were read that both slaves fell to the ground. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And we see that again in verse 29, almost word for word. So his fellow slave, his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. Both approach, approach their masters by falling on their knees and begging their masters with the words, have patience, I will repay you. But verses 27 and verse 30, as we see the response to each of these, are completely opposite reactions. Look at verse 27. The king says, the Lord of that slave felt, felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But this is where I get angry. In verse 30, the second service, the second servant did not receive and hear that same message. Verse 30, but he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he could pay back what was owed. How could he be so cruel? If you had just been shown such lavish grace and such incredible forgiveness, it takes something inhumane in someone to go and to demand payment especially holding them by the neck when you were just shown incredible <laughs> grace. How could this be? He was given a clean slate. He can't show this same kindness to someone who owes him just a few weeks wages. The second lesson leads us to our last and very important lesson. The third lesson the parable teaches is that now since we have been shown such great forgiveness we have a responsibility to forgive others. Verse 31 of the story. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. And then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And here's the question that I love. 
Verse 33, should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? At the core of the Christian faith is the subject or the doctrine of forgiveness. And it's forgiveness that not only we have received, but this parable teaches us it's forgiveness that we should also offer to those who don't deserve it. It's forgiveness that we should offer to others who are undeserved. How many times do we read where Jesus gives us some very clear and often difficult instruction regarding our forgiveness, even being based on our willingness to forgive others? Jesus makes it clear that we must model God's forgiveness of our sins by the way that we forgive others. Something that's easy to say, something that we know to be the case, but it's something very difficult at times to play out. Here are a few lines from scripture in which Jesus talks about the grace of forgiveness and why it's essential. In Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, this is the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if you forgive others the wrongs they have done to you, your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive the wrongs that you have done. It's a pretty bold scripture. Luke 6, 37, do not judge others and God will not judge you. Do not condemn others and God will not condemn you. Forgive others and God will forgive you. Thankfully, we have the perfect example of forgiveness. Others have harmed you and harmed me and forgiveness is difficult to grant to them when that happens. But others certainly harmed our Lord as he hung on the cross. And in Luke 23, 34, he cries out, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Mark eleven twenty five. and when you stand and pray, forgive anything you may have against anyone so that your father in heaven will forgive the wrongs that you have done. And a contemporary Christian artist, many of you know the name Matthew West. He's, wrote, he's written a song called Forgiveness. And Matthew West, a lot of his songs are written from individuals who have written him letters. And he is a genius at taking these letters and taking these personal stories and putting them into a song. And he did that with the song Forgiveness. A family wrote to him about uh, an, um, a journey that their um, family had been on. And that journey included the death of a daughter who was killed by a drunk driver. Forgiveness for such an act may not happen overnight and for some it may never happen. But for this family, forgiveness came. So much so that they went, not knowing the condition of the young man who hit their daughter, they went to this young man and said, we forgive you. The relationship didn't end there with this young man, but this family came back to the jail, to the prison time and time again. A relationship formed in such a way that this young man is now scheduled to be released from prison and the family has made this statement that they consider him almost an adopted part of their family. It's almost uncomfortable for me to hear and say those words. It, it just, it, it, it goes against everything to think that a family could embrace someone who has caused so much harm and so much hurt into their lives. But Matthew West did what he is gifted and called to do. He wrote a song called Forgiveness. Some of you will recognize these words. He says, it's the hardest thing to give away and the last thing on your mind today. 
It always goes against those who don't, it always goes to those who don't deserve. It's the opposite of how you feel when the pain they caused is just too real. Takes everything you have to say the word, forgiveness. It flies in the face of all your pride. It moves away the mad inside. It's always anger's own worst enemy. Even when the jury and the judge say you have a right to hold a grudge, it's the whisper in your ear saying, set it free, forgiveness. It can set a prisoner free and there is no end to what its power can do. So let it go and be amazed by what you see through the eyes of grace. And then he adds at the end of the song, the prisoner that it really frees is you. The last lesson that will not be on your slides this morning, which runs throughout all of the New Testament, is the message that we have heard in the scriptures that I read earlier from Jesus. Many of your Bibles obviously have these words written in red. But the lesson is this, that a man must forgive in order to be forgiven. He who cannot forgive his fellow man cannot hope that God will forgive him. This is some harsh words or some difficult words that we hear from Jesus. In Matthew 5, 7, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. A few practical words on forgiveness as we begin to close. If you are in some type of relationship or know of others who are where there is abuse happening, Forgiveness can happen for the one who is abusing, but that does not give permission. It's not a permissive forgiveness. And if you or you know of others who are in abusive relationships, please, if it's you, seek counsel. Or if it's you on behalf of others, encourage them to seek counsel. Forgiveness for the abuser does not give the abuser permission to do what he or she is doing. Also, forgiveness is a process. It's rare a tragedy could happen in my family or in yours, and it would be rare that if it's an unspeakable tragedy, that forgiveness could happen instantaneously or immediately. But forgiveness is often a process. Some of you in here this morning could speak of that far greater than I ever could. You were there, and you're at a different place now. You were at a place of unforgiveness, and now you are at that place of forgiveness. If there are some in here this morning that uh, maybe you say, Keith, I understand that, but I am not there yet. I would ask you this morning, can you take that next step towards forgiveness? You may not fully jump in with both feet and saying, I can forgive this person for what they've done. But would you be willing to at least take that next step towards forgiveness that one day and one day soon you may could be at that place to offer that forgiveness. But forgiveness can often be a process. And I want you to think as we again as we begin to close, what could or will or does this unforgiveness look like when you extend it out over weeks and over months and over years? Unfortunately, we've seen this all too often within our, sometimes within families, within our communities and within our world. We see what can happen when unforgiveness goes on day after day, week after week, month after month and year after year. The key to faith, the key uh, to worship of God is confession and forgiveness. God has the requirement of sinless perfection, a requirement that you and I cannot meet. Have you and I come to the place where we have asked God to forgive us 
of our sins, to renew us and put us in right standing with him. As we begin 2018, let's do so with a clean slate. Before we talk about what it means to follow Christ and to live for Christ, before we talk about how we should give of our time and talents and to the church, before we should talk about the parable as we move into February, we'll be talking about the Good Samaritan and um, uh, be talking about the, um, uh, the prodigal son and uh, looking at other uh, just incredible, incredible parables that have tremendous messages for us. But before we go there, let's first pause and go to God and ask him to forgive us of our sins and to lead us in those paths of righteousness. When forgiveness takes root in our lives, we experience God's grace and we begin to offer this grace to others. And we join with believers down through the ages who have said, I am not what I could be and I'm not what I should be, but praise be to God, I am not what I used to be. And when forgiveness comes into our hearts, when forgiveness comes into our lives, we can join with other saints throughout the ages in saying the same thing. Praise be to God, I am not what I used to be. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your grace. Oh, so lavish, so generous, and so abundantly given to us. Father, it's, it's incomprehensible. Father, we, we can't understand why you would be so gracious toward us being so sinful. The hymn we sang earlier, Grace Alone, that is truly what it's about. And Lord, not only have you offered us that grace, but you still offer us that grace today. And so, Father, for all of us in this place, if any of us are harboring unforgiveness, I pray that we would jump in with both feet and being able to offer. It doesn't mean we're giving someone permission to harm us, but it does mean, Lord, that we are saying this no longer is keeping me in bondage. Father, forgive us for our sins. And Lord, the responsibility of this lavish and abundant grace that you have bestowed on us, the responsibility for us is to extend this lavish grace and forgiveness to others. Father, we confess that we don't always have the power and the strength to do that. But we know, Lord, that you can give us that strength. Speak to us now as we stand and sing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there are any of you here today that would desire to make some type of commitment decision to ask forgiveness, you could do that in your pew, but you're welcome and the altar is open as well. If anyone desires church membership, would be happy and delighted to talk with you more about that. Let's stand and sing together. I believe hymn number 25.